We're going to speak on the subject of praying big prayers today, and Priscilla is going to start. Priscilla. Yes, thank you so much for your welcome. It's wonderful for us to be with Jeff and Kay, but it's great for us to be with you as well this morning. And yes, our subject is prayer and praying big prayers. How can we be the people who pray the big prayers? I think all of us would agree that communication is really important and at every level of, of life and in, in every context. And, uh, and sometimes it's easy to get our wires crossed when it comes to communication as well. Um, earlier this year, we were in Virginia. We go there quite frequently and we've got good friends there. And on the Friday evening, Paul phoned a friend and said, Mike, we're back again. Would it be okay to call in the morning? And Mike said, sure that'd be great. And so Saturday morning, mid-morning, we drove out to their house and Mike came to the door and he was in his pajamas, which, you know, surprised us a little bit. Then the kids were all in their pajamas and uh, the house was all crazy, but he was really welcoming, come in, made us coffee, we're sitting, chatting. And after about half an hour, he said, "Uh, so in Ireland, when you say we're going to call, it means visit. (laughs) He says, here in America, it means a phone call. (laughs) So we have often discovered that with communication, you can get your wires crossed. But you know, when it comes to prayer, I think if we can see prayer as communication, as we can, if we can see prayer as talking and listening to God, rather than putting it in a box of a religious exercise, I think it will bring it to life for us. Because for the most part, most Christians, as we talk to one another, we, we feel vaguely guilty that we don't pray enough, or that we don't really pray the way we ought to pray. And There's maybe one or two people in our lives and we look at them and we admire them and we think they're great at prayer. And we we really believe that they're the sort of super spiritual types and that that's not us. And unfortunately, what happens as well, because we feel guilty about it, we kind of feel that it's got to be attached to our to-do list. And these days, everybody's so busy. No matter what season in life you're in, you're busy. And, and so another thing that we have to put on our to-do list and feel bad about that we don't get round to. But if we can just shift our focus and realize that you and I have been invited into a loving relationship with God. He wants us to know him, our heavenly father. Jesus is our friend. That's what he said. I've called you friends. And if we can see prayer as a way to deepen that relationship, to strengthen that relationship, to get to know God better, I think it shifts the focus, takes the weight of guilt off us, and helps us to see how we can incorporate it into our daily lives. Now, Scripture is full of big prayers, people who had the confidence to pray big prayers. And I want to read one of those prayers to you today. It's in Acts chapter 4, and it's in verse 23. And this is the early days of the church. And this is what it says, verse 23. On their release... Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. 
Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. This was a big prayer. And the context is that Peter and John had been to the temple. They'd met a man who hadn't been able to walk from birth. And they saw this amazing miracle. They raised him up. They spoke to him in the name of Jesus. And he started to run and leap and praise God. And as a result of that, many, many people came from all parts of the temple. And they started to share with them the good news. And people were giving their lives to Jesus. And of course, the authorities heard and they came and they arrested them. And then they had to make another defense of the gospel where the authorities were saying, you're not allowed to speak about this man, Jesus. And they refused to be silent. Eventually, they get to be released. They go and meet with the church and to Together, they pray this amazing prayer to the point where even the physical building that they were meeting in was shaken. And of course, we might think, well, of course, they're apostles. They're heroes of the faith. They are going to pray the big prayers. But today, we want to make the first point that prayer is for ordinary people. We see Peter and John as these amazing men of God, but you know, that's not where they started. If you just go back a few short years, you see Peter praying a very different type of prayer. He started at a different place and grew into being able to pray along with the other pe people in the church, this amazing prayer. And I wanna read that to you in Luke if you go back to the Gospel of Luke and Luke chapter 5, and again, this cry to Jesus is on the back of a miracle because Jesus has got into Peter's boat. They've fished all night. They have caught nothing. Jesus has let down your nets, and they catch this extraordinary number of fish. And when Peter sees that miracle, his response is a very different cry to God, a very different prayer. It says in 5 verse, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. In that moment, Peter got a glimpse of who Jesus was. But I think he got a glimpse of who he was. I'm a sinful man, Lord, you depart from me. He got a sense of his own smallness and his own inadequacy. And somehow I think that learning to pray the big prayers starts with a sense of our own inadequacy, starts with a sense of, of us being ordinary people who are coming to God. I think I learned this most 
deeply. Um, in the season of my life when I was a young mom, we have four girls four, and they're all grown up now and married. But, you know, before that, in my teens and 20s, I think if you'd met me, I was the sort of person, if you'd said, Priscilla, would you like to have a go at that? I would have always felt, oh, God, you know, I'll give it a go, I'll try. But when it came to being a mom, I had never felt so inadequate in all my life. I just thought, God, I can't do this. Paul used to come home from work and we had a rocking chair and I used to sit in the rocking chair and he would come in and I was bawling my eyes out and the baby was crying too. And, and you know, I just thought, Lord, I just don't know how to do this. And I was brought up in a church that, and it was good teaching, but, you know, that it was emphasized that you had to have your quiet time, and it had to be regular, and it had to be a certain length of time. And suddenly, quiet time? There was no quiet time in my life anymore. So not only did I feel inadequate as a mother, I felt a complete failure as a Christian. I really felt, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm just not able to pray the way I used to, and I'm just so useless and I remember, I think in that period of time, not just with my first baby, but right through that period, I really feel like the Lord taught me something new about prayer. I remember standing at the kitchen sink one day and again bemoaning the fact that I was a terrible Christian and I didn't pray and I was useless. And I really felt the Lord say, Priscilla, if you would just take the five minutes that you do have, instead of the hour that's never going to come along, we might get somewhere. And that was so helpful for me. And, and even learning, I mean, again, one evening, I remember sort of collapsing on the sofa and going, oh God, I know I should be praying and I just haven't the energy. I just don't, I can't even talk to you. And it just felt like the Lord said, Priscilla, I'm right here beside you. I've got hold of your hand. Just relax and enjoy my presence. And I learned that prayer was even beyond words. That Jesus invites us to just be with him. And so I began to understand that even my inadequacies and my being just an ordinary mom, that God still wanted me to come to him. He still wanted to hear my voice. The Lord loves to hear your voice. When you're not talking to him, he misses you. And so he invites us to, to be part of this wonderful communication and conversation. And when we come to him, we realize that he is the senior party. He is God. He is in control. We might feel small and inadequate, but he is God. And so I think that even with this, he's saying, when it comes to prayer, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. Because I think one of the things that saddens me most is Christians who give up on their faith and walk away from the Lord because somehow they feel, and it is often in this area of prayer, they feel, God, you didn't answer my prayer. God, you didn't come through for me. The you didn't come through in the time I needed you. You didn't do the thing that I was asking you to do. And somehow we need to come to the Lord with a humility of heart and spirit that says, Lord, I trust you. I love that Lauren Daigle song where she says, you know, Lord, when you don't move the mountain, Lord, when you don't part the sea, when you don't answer the way I'm expecting you to answer, and then she sings out, but I will trust in you. Ordinary people can come to their father and know that they can trust him as they pour out their heart to him. 
And the second point is that a big prayer begins with small issues. Big prayer begins with small issues. I, sometimes when, you, uh, when you, you talk about prayer, it goes like this. You know, things were so serious we had to pray. We reserve prayer for national emergencies and serious illnesses. And, uh, and you kind of go, well, 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 just how small, what are the small issues you, you can talk about? And we can get silly. You've heard about the Irishman. He's uh, very busy. For, he, he's, he's driving and he's, uh, he's late for an appointment, a really critical appointment. He can't get a parking space in the city. And so eventually he just stops the car, puts the window down, looks up to heaven and says, God, if you get me a parking space, I'll stop smoking, gambling, drinking and all the other stuff I'm doing. And just then... He spots a parking space. He quickly looks up there and he says, forget that, I found one myself. <laughs> There's something, something about weaving prayer into everyday life and beginning to talk to God on a consistent and a regular basis throughout your day. Uh, bringing to God those issues that, that, are, that are important to you, bringing, giving thanks. The, the, the old Celtic church in, under St. Patrick in the 5th and the 6th century developed a set of prayers for every part of your life to remind them that God was actively involved and wanted to be involved in your life. And in fact, without being indelicate, there's actually a prayer that involves going to the bathroom. They didn't call it bathroom because they didn't have them, okay? <laughs> but it was, a, it was a prayer of thanksgiving that your bowels and bladder were working adequately. <laughs> Which I think is quite nice, actually. And uh, so, but the, the point being that their everyday life meant this continual communication with God. I became a Christian when I was 16, and I lived with my grandparents. And uh, it was a really difficult time. Mom and dad were divorced, and... And it was, uh, it was just difficult. And I was uh, struggling at school, uh, particularly with math, al algebra. And my big bug, where I still remember this day, was uh, simultaneous equations. Anybody ever, anybody ever hear of simultaneous equations? Yeah, another day when none of us have to worry about simultaneous <laughs> equations. When you're 16, you do. And I was struggling at it. And my grandfather came down. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm trying to get this thing, math, simultaneous equations. He said, and he said, have you prayed about it? I said, well, can you do that? <laughs> he says, well, who invented simultaneous equations? I said, the devil, obviously. <laughs> Satanic stuff. And he said, no, no, actually, it was the Lord who invented it. And he said, so Jesus knows more about it than you do. Than you do. He said, when did you pray about it? Prayed about it? You know something? First mass exam I ever passed in my life. But my simple point is that you integrate it was integrated into starting with the small things in my life taught me a valuable lesson actually I was telling a story at another church and this nerd came up to me and he said why oh, use simultaneous equations every day in my work you know I will cut you <laughs> you know you meet one everywhere don't you and uh, but one of the good one of the things of course about doing this is you develop your own rhythm in prayer as well and and uh, there are people who pray very differently and at different times etc I don't want to impose that on you but what we're talking about is having a culture of communication with God in your life Priscilla and I when we got married we uh, we used to <laughs> we used to um, uh, say let's get let's take a Tuesday night and we'll pray for three four hours and it lasts about two weeks because she said my prayers were short and superficial and I said hers were long and boring. 
Priscilla prays story prayers to God. They go on and on and on, honestly. Now, I'm sure he is really delighted with them, but honestly, I just fell asleep eventually. But it taught me, it taught me that you've got to develop your own, your own uh, rhythm in prayer. Peter, in this passage, it, isn't it wonderful? He's not talking about shaking the nations or signs and wonders. It's fish. It's fish. Haven't caught anything all night. Wonder that he says a fisherman and a good Jew, Lord, could we have one fish, please? He starts with small issues. Three years later, he's praying a big prayer. And you know, I think that if we're going to grow into people who will pray big prayers, that we need to understand that prayer does change communities. And actually praying in community helps you to grow in terms of your prayer life. For the most part, we probably think that when we spend time alone with the Lord, that that's gold star praying. But, you know, praying together is important, but it's not just as important. But yet, I think through my life, I've learned about how to pray in my own individual life as I've prayed with other people. Because praying in community and being part of a worshiping, praying community fuels your own prayer life and helps you to develop and grow. It's, I think we need to encourage each other to have prayer partners. We need to encourage each other to be part of groups that pray together. Whenever you're part of a community, when you're part of a group, praying together does many things. It fuels your own prayer life. But as well as that, you know, if you're always on your own, you can get a wee bit weird. So you, it's good to be around other people and, and even praying together and people go, you know, that's not really sensible. And, and, and that's very helpful and it keeps you grounded and it keeps you accountable. But the other thing about praying together is that when you are going through the hard times, when you're going through the things that are re you're really struggling with, you have a group of people who get around you. We've been in situations in our lives when we just didn't even know how to pray anymore. And we always say we're so grateful for our small groups in our lives. And our church has put a big emphasis on meeting together in small groups um, in order that we can pray for one another and, and help one another and be a strength for one another. And I know that we wouldn't have made it at times apart from those people who got around us and loved us and cared for us and prayed for us. And I hope that we were able to do that for them when they were going through their hard times. So praying in community really does help you keep going. But the other thing is that it keeps you with an outward focus, that it's not always just about me and mine, but we pray for one another, but we also pray for the broken world that we're part of. That, that we can see that as we join together and we pray together, it makes a difference. It makes a difference in our communities. It makes a difference in our cities. It makes a difference in our world. I think we learned that very quickly, trying to build church during the troubles in Northern Ireland. You know, there was such brokenness in, in our community, such hatred, such sectarianism. People were being murdered on our streets on a regular basis. And that certainly drives you to prayer. 
And, and we saw the need to cry out to God, and we saw the need to do it together, and not just within our own church, but across denominations. And we met, met with Catholic prayer groups, and we met with other denominations, and we prayed, and we called out to God together. And we also knew that people around the world were praying for us. And if you prayed for us, you need to know that your prayers made a difference. Because you see, there's a history written by men and women And we aren't always written into that history. But when God's people pray, we are written into God's story. There's a story to be told about the peace process in Northern Ireland that won't necessarily be in the history books. But things changed in our society. We saw breakthrough because the people of God prayed. And I would just say to you, Timberline, God is saying to you again that as you get together and you pray, you too can be history makers. You can make a difference in this community, in this city, in this state, and in your nation. You can be written into God's story because you pray. Because when we pray, God hears, God moves, and God answers. We saw God do amazing things. We're not where we want to be as a nation, but we are so much better than where we were. Even in the peace process, we kept hitting impasses. We're actually at an impasse at the moment. And two Saturdays ago, a large crowd of people came together and cried out to God again because we have seen God move. We've seen politicians who refuse to talk together, who refuse to sit down together, sit at the table and come to agreement. And we firmly believe that it wouldn't have happened except that the people of God prayed. Amen. You know, whenever I look at your college ministry and the guys standing there this morning, I just think, you know, they're standing there because generations before them prayed and poured into their lives. And Timberline, God is saying to you, are you going to invest in prayer in a generation even yet to be born? That's why I love being a grandparent. We've six granddaughters and one grandson, and I love it because not only do I love being a granny, but I love the fact that I can pray into their lives. I can pray into the lives of their children who I may never see, but I can make an impact because I'm praying. God is saying to us, if we will come together as ordinary men and women and we pray together, that we can be history makers. Amen to that one. Uh, it's really important that we pray within our faith. Pray within our faith. I love it again about Peter. He's praying. I, I, I'm putting that into it. It's about fish. But of course, he stays with what he can see can actually happen. Now, what I, what I mean by that is this, that you've got to be really careful about asking for stuff that's beyond your maturity level or even your spiritual experience. I mean, I remember I was uh, at a church once in Michigan, and a, a young man came up to me and he said, would you pray for me? I said, sure, what would you like me to pray for? He said, I, I want to be a billionaire. I said, not a millionaire? He says, no, a billionaire. I said, okay. I said, what do you do for a living? He says, I'm unemployed. And I said, well, could we not, maybe we could start and pray for a job for you. Would that, would that maybe work first? There is something about doing that. You see, if you've never, if you're looking for 100,000 pounds to drop out of the sky and you've never seen God deliver $10, it's probably beyond you to pray that. 
I've been to many prayer meetings where people pray for countries and they just name them. And their, their intentions are really good. They pray, Lord, save Japan. And then we go over to save Korea, save China, save Vietnam, save Cambodia, save Laos. And they work their way right around the coast. And you know, when they get to the Gulf of Arabia, Saudi Arabia, you're, you're praying that they'll, they'll take a shortcut through the Suez Canal and get back to Europe again. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, they'll go through the right around Africa. But there's something about being specific in your prayers. We've uh, got a couple of friends, missionaries all their lives in France. And they, when, they, when they went over 45 years ago, uh, they learned the language, uh, did the year's class, went to live in a town, hired a house, went to a little church, you know, just small group of believers, and began to pray, God save France. God save France. After about six months, they looked at each other and said, we don't really believe that, do we? We don't really believe God's going to save France. You know, you know. God going to save 55 million people overnight? They didn't have a faith for that. They said, what could we believe God for? They said, well, first of all, we could believe God that we could actually meet our neighbor. Next day, neighbor's out cutting the grass, lawnmower breaks down. Our friend jumps over the fence. He's a mechanic, fixes the lawnmower. Wow, prayer number one answered. Their prayer, their faith starts to rise. They said, what could we pray now? Well, why don't, we, why don't we pray that we can actually, you know, meet him and have a conversation with him? The very next day, the neighbor comes around, knocks the door, says, thank you for fixing my lawnmower. Would you come for dinner tomorrow night? Boom, prayer number two. Oh, their faith, their, their faith level is rising. What could we believe for now? That we get an opportunity to talk to him about the Lord, tell him about what we're doing. They get in, they sit down for the meal, they do the introductions, and then he goes, where do you go every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock? Oh, yes, they're on a, they're on a roll now. And then, of course, they, their faith is up. They start praying that they'll be able to share the Lord with them. And eventually, of course, the neighbor comes to know Christ. And Peter starts there. And part of, part of weaving a, a prayer into your life on an everyday basis means that as you begin to see things happen on a micro level, the smaller level, your faith begins to rise and you can actually begin to pray for bigger things. For Peter, his first big prayer is this, Lord, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. Three years later, he's crying out, signs and wonders, shake the nations, let the heavens move. Start within your faith level and God will grow that faith. And as we do that, of course, it's really important that we remember who we're praying to. And that's our final point, that we remind ourselves that we're praying to a big God. And that's what they did in Acts chapter 4. We read it. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They're, talking, they're speaking to themselves and saying, this is the God that we're coming to. Which is why Jesus told us to pray, our Father. It's an intimate relationship. We're not coming to a God and we're twisting his arm up his back. We're coming to a loving father who wants to pour out good gifts on his children. But we're coming to our father in heaven. He is God. He is a holy God. He is a powerful God. And so while we come with our requests, and some of them we think are impossible, God says to us, nothing is impossible for me. Some of you need to remind yourselves this, this afternoon that he is the immeasurably more God. Mm -hmm. James talks quite a bit about prayer in his letter, and he talks to us about Elijah, who he says was a, just an ordinary guy, just like you and I, but he had the faith to pray the big prayer. Why did Elijah pray that big prayer? 
because he knew that he had a big God. And you know, James also reminds us that not only are we coming to a big God, but that we need to persist and we need to persevere in prayer. Don't give up too easily. Keep pressing into that big God who wants to answer your prayers. I find for me, persisting and persevering is difficult. So I try to attach things that I pray about to things that I do every day in my, in my normal life. So, for instance, when I get up in the morning and I'm cleaning my teeth, that's the time I always say, Lord, today, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I need your power to fill me and, and, and help me and strengthen me today. And then another thing that I try to do most days is exercise. Now, I know that there's some freaks out there who really love exercising. I am not one of those. In fact, I hate it, but the only reason I do it is so I can eat. And then because I hate it so much, I like a distraction. So that's my time for praying for prodigals. We have prodigals in our family. I know the pain of that. I always said, I'm going to make the devil sorry that he ever messed with my kids. And I will pray for as many prodigals as I possibly can. So when I'm on that torture instrument in the gym, the rowing machine... I can pray, I can keep going for 10 minutes, I know that's not very long, but I can do 10 minutes on the rowing machine, and you've no idea how many prodigals I can pray for when I'm doing that. Because when you do this, you just use their names, and you say, I'm pulling them out of Satan's kingdom, and I'm bringing them into the kingdom of light. So attach prayer to things that you do regularly. It will help you to persist. It will help you to keep going. But keep reminding yourself that you come to an amazing God. And when God's people pray, he moves in response to our prayers and things happen. I love the quote from the theologian Karl Barth. And he says this, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. You and I get to clasp our hands in prayer individually and corporately and know that we can be part of an uprising against the disorder that's in our world. And as we close today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you actually. And I want you to do this if you would. Um, to pray a prayer that you stop praying. Talk to God about something that you stop praying about. And the second thing I want you to do is this. Pray a bigger prayer than you've ever prayed in your life today. Stretch out. Ask God for something that you think, Lord, I've never prayed about that before, but I'm going to go big. I'm going to go large today. I've got uh, something, had something for about 12 years called AFib. Ever heard of AFib? It's a heart condition and uh, it's a regular heartbeat. If you've got a heart condition, you either need a plumber or an electrician. And when you have AFib, you need an electrician. And, uh, I've, had a, and I've been on beta blockers. I've been on uh, blood thinners for all of those years. And when your heart goes out of rhythm, it is extremely debilitating, breathless, tiredness, exhaustion. It, it, it really affects your life and just gets worse and worse. You can get an operation. Sometimes it works. I got it. Didn't happen. Didn't work with me. And uh, honestly, about a year and a half ago, I, I prayed, I've been prayed for in meetings for hundreds of times. 
hundreds of times. And I have prayed for it every day since the day I got it. And about 18 months ago, I just gave up. Just said, I'm not talking to you about that because nothing's happening. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever done that. You know, you prayed and prayed and prayed and you go, it's not that you don't think God's good and you're trying your best, but you just go, Lord, no point. No point in talking to you about it because nothing ever happens. And I gave up about it. And I felt the Lord challenge me and say, Paul, did I tell you to stop praying? I said, no. He said, you keep on asking, keep on knocking and keep on seeking and see what I'll do. So life went on. The, 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 the AFib just kept coming back. The first Sunday in June last year, 2016, I went to preach in Aberdeen in Scotland and I had to do four meetings over the weekend and my heart was out of rhythm for the whole time. I had to sit to preach. I felt I had the worst night of my life. It was terrible. And I just was crying out to God. And at the end of the meeting, a man came up to me and he said, can I pray for you, Paul? I said, sure. And he put his hand on my heart and instantly it went back into rhythm again. Now that happens because it self-regulates. But I remember phoning Priscilla the next day and I said, or that afternoon, I said, you know, something, I got prayed for today, I told her what happened, and I said, but something's different than before. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I don't know, but it is. And from that day to this, 15 months later, I haven't had one episode of AFib in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Hey. Hey. Why did it take God 12 years to do that? I don't know. But I want you to do, I want you to, I'm going to take a moment, give the opportunity to talk to God, pray about something that you'd given up hope for or you'd stop praying about and pray it again today. Just take a moment quietly and let's do that. Holy Spirit, would you bring to our memory and our mind and our heart maybe something that we'd long since given up. We're a bit afraid even to mention it again, but stir it up within us, Lord. Let us be a, a consistent and a persistent people who pray. And I want you to pray a prayer, bigger prayer than you've ever prayed before. If you're not a Christian, the biggest prayer you'll ever pray in your life is the night, the day that you invite Jesus into your life. 50 years ago as a boy of 16, I did that. Nothing was ever the same again. I didn't understand much. I was a broken young man from a broken family. But I went along to a meeting and I heard how that there was a God who loved me. And Jesus died for me. And if you welcome him into your life, he'll forgive your sins and turn your life upside down. I said, I don't really know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to do it. And I prayed the biggest prayer I ever prayed in my life. You know something? Nothing was ever the same again. If you've never prayed that, you might want to pray something the way I prayed all those years ago. Father, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you welcome me. I don't understand a lot, but I know this, that if I invite you into my life, life will never be the same again. I'll become a new person. Things will change forever. Sins forgiven, peace with God. If you pray that prayer, honestly, I promise you, God will take it really seriously. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to some stage to come up and talk to us 
talk to Priscilla and I, or Jeff at the back will be out to the foyer afterwards. Talk to them, get prayer at the prayer team. In the meantime, let me pray for you. Father, thank you that you're still in the business of answering people's prayers. You're a God who not only uses prayer to change us, but Father, we thank you that when we pray, your word says that the effectual fervent prayer of righteous people has much effect. Father, may we be a people who pray and keep on crying out to God because when we do that, we'll see a change in our lives and in our society. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.